Um, I'll be reading from Luke 4, 14 to 21. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogues on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. How many of you are, not to change the subject too much, but how many of you are uh, Karate Kid fans? Okay. Number one or uh, Karate Kid 2? Or is there a three? I don't know if there's a three or not. But uh, what is it that stands out to you the most about Karate Kid 1? If you were to... To say, some, yeah, somebody's already said it. Wax on, wax off, right? Uh, that, that's one of those things. Or him catching a fly with his chopsticks. Uh, Mr. Miyagi doing that. Pretty amazing thing. Um, the second one also involved something that's memorable that related to the wax on, wax off. By the way, that was a way for uh, Daniel to learn to focus and to concentrate, right? He had no idea why he was doing it at the time. And in the second movie, uh, there is this constant putting on the coat, taking off the coat, putting on a coat, you know, hanging it up, different motions that he had to do over and over again. And he got so mad about doing this. He didn't, didn't want to have to continue to do it. But Mr. Miyagi said, no, you know, you want to learn uh, karate, then this is what you do. And what you see in, in both of those movies with both of those techniques is that Daniel always wanted to, to know how to do it, right? He, he wanted to learn karate. But Mr. Miyagi saw it, it, it's not about you just getting uh, these quick moves and knowing how to defend yourself and uh, being able to have power over the people who bully you. There's something more to it than that. It's not about the what of karate. It's the why, right? So it, it was uh, something that became clear to him when he was fighting about the motions with his hands and the wax on, wax off, that those things would uh, roll into the purpose of what he was doing. And the same thing about taking the coat on and off and back and forth. It was about him understanding why all of that was necessary it would all come out uh, in the practice of what he was supposed to be doing. Sometimes we get mixed up between the what and the why, don't we? We get so focused on the what that we forget the why. And I think that relates directly to our purpose in this world, that we get so focused on the what of our existence in this world that we lose sight of the why. And you're never going to get the right what until you get to the right why, right? And we find that. We get so frustrated in life, we just want to jump out there and find our significance and, 
and do things that we feel like we ought to be doing. And so many times we have no idea why. And I believe that's true for us as Christians, that we lose our way and we jump into things. And this is true for us as individuals, but also as churches, as people of faith. We forget why it is that we're here. How many churches have you been to that uh, have no idea why they exist? Uh, We've probably helped some of those churches uh, get to that understanding of, of forgetting why we exist. And a lot of times that's true for us in our personal lives. We forget why we are in relationship with one another. Jack was telling me about a conversation uh, in a store he was in on Friday about uh, this guy who uh, he saw Jack and his friend come into the store uh, being younger and, and there were a bunch of older men there in the store and they started talking about, one of them started talking about his marriage. And uh, he, he was saying, you know, don't ever, whatever you do, boy, don't ever get married. And uh, he talked about how bad it was and grandkids and don't ever do it. If I had to do it all over again, I would never do it. I think he's forgotten why he got married. And he has uh, tr- totally drifted away from his purpose. We do that in our relationships. We do it at work. You might get up in the morning, a Monday morning, you go to work and you think, why Am I doing this? This task, this assignment that I have, why in the world am I doing this? When I would go to school and I would be in algebra for the third time, (laughs) and I would think, what? And I would even say to the teacher, what difference does this make? When am I ever going to use algebra with what I want to do with my life? And the teacher would always have. Uh, an answer that made no sense. It was like another formula throwing at me. (laughs) But there was a teacher that came along that helped me understand how it related to life. The most unassuming algebra teacher in the world. And she helped me understand. And when I understood the why, then the what made a whole lot more sense. What we find in our text today, in our gospel text, is Jesus understanding the why of his existence. This is his first sermon. And so he goes to his hometown. And uh, I have preached in my hometown before. Uh, and, and, and it's daunting. To go back to the people who knew me when I was a kid. And uh, there was a lot to know about me uh, as a kid. And so the hometown folks, they knew. And they had trouble seeing me, I'm sure, being up there as someone in seminary and called to go into the ministry. And by the way, in my tradition, you have to be blessed or uh, affirmed by your home congregation for you to even go to seminary. So I had to go before them, large church, uh, but even with it being large, they, they knew some of the things that I'd gotten into in my life. And so uh, they were so graceful to say, yes, we believe that you are called by God to go into ministry. And so we, we sign these papers, we let you go on. Um, but in, in terms of Jesus going to his hometown, he was poor. And this was a, a very poor town. In fact, it was probably one of the poorest cities that anyone had ever known in that part of the world. 
Jesus was an absolute peasant. The word that's used there to describe his trade as a carpenter or as a common worker was peasant. Uh, I mean, was tecton. He was a uh, bottom of the rung kind of worker. And the people in his city, I mean, he was a carpenter, but they, they were not able to build with wood in his city. No one had money to build a house out of wood. So Jesus would have to travel and go different places to be able to do his skill. They had mud and dirt walls that they would form their houses with. And so Jesus was, was very poor. And he goes back to a congregation of people just like him, very poor. And with that context in mind, you get an understanding of what it was like for Jesus to go into the synagogue there in his hometown. And he goes over and they would have had uh, the scrolls there. He pulls out a scroll. And as Luke describes, he begins to preach from the scroll. He pro- it probably takes him a minute. Uh, he probably had reading glasses. <laughs> takes him a minute and he, he goes over. And he finds his place. He looks up at the people. I'm sure he was nervous. Jesus had to have been nervous. He was human, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And so the people at this point are going, okay, we know this passage. It's from Isaiah. They're not thinking maybe anything different about it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I think Jesus probably emphasized me like me. It's on me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, at this point, again, they're poor. They're thinking, yeah, we need some good news around here. So Isaiah, this this is a good passage he's preaching. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Well, we're in captivity and recovery of sight to the blind. There were plenty of blind among them and the oppressed to let them go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so he rolls up the scroll and he gives it back to the attendant and he sits down. He just sits down and all of the eyes of the people in the synagogue are focused on him at that point. And then you look and you you see what he says. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What an audacious statement. He says, I want all of you to know. Yes, you know me. I I am the the son of Mary and Joseph. And you know my family and, and what it is that I'm about. But I want you to know that today, this prophecy has been fulfilled. And I'm sure there were plenty of people elbowing each other going, okay, he has totally lost it. He's one of those people that comes through our town every once in a while claiming that he is going to deliver us from the captivity that we're in to the Roman government. That he's going to bring industry or he's going to make us all rich and all of this. And we've had these people come through time after time. And so he's obviously... He's been listening to them, and he thinks he is going to solve all of our problems. But I think others who had their eyes fixed on him were thinking, wow. 
he could be the one. He seems to speak with such authority that even if he can't accomplish all of this, he is someone that I want to follow. And then others, I'm sure, completely believed in what he was saying he could do. And so Jesus says today, this is what I'm about. This is my purpose in life. And so you see the what of his life there. That he is to to go and to bring good news to the poor. He understood that God wanted good news to go out into the world. A world that was so full of bad news. This was his purpose. And Jesus spent some time contemplating that purpose. This is why I am here. Do you know what that feels like to ask that question? Of course you do. Because you've asked that of yourself. Maybe even today you woke up and you think, I don't even know why I'm here. Why? It's an ancient question. It's been around since we have been able to think and process our thoughts and have a sense of consciousness. What, What am I supposed to do in this world? And so Jesus says, God has a dream for the world. God wants me to bring good news. And that good news is something that will take the form of releasing the oppressed. That God is a God of justice and wants people who are oppressed to be free. God wants those who are blind, whether it's literally or physically or spiritually, to be able to see. God wants those who are confined to be able to have freedom. And so Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. This is my why. And you know what? He never had a problem doing the what. Once he got the why, then the what came. I don't know about you, but, you know, this can be a struggle. Why am I here? And why are you here today? Have you gotten to the why? Sometimes we have to come back and forth. We have to come back to it time and time again. Because we can get so busy, even starting out with the right why, that we lose our way. And we try to get ourselves busy, right? If you said, how are you doing this morning to somebody around you? Chances are they said, oh, I'm busy, right? Oh, I'm busy. Like that, that's impressive, right? I'm so busy. I have so many things going on, so many projects, things that I do. I am just so busy and it makes me important. Well, maybe that's not the best thing. If you're so busy doing the wrong things, then you're drifting away from your purpose in life. Jesus was incredibly busy. And he may have said, I'm, hey, how are you doing, Jesus? I'm busy. But I'm busy doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. I, I have the why, and I'm busy doing the what that comes out of that why. My identity is in, Christ, is in God, and I do the things that God wants me to do in the world. And he did. He got in trouble for it. In fact, he was so radical about it, so passionate about it, It ends up getting him hung on a cross, doesn't it? 
Jesus was fully committed to the why. And so we're to be that committed as well. And I hope that as, as you go through the end of this month, as we say January is a time for us to refocus and to figure out what it is that we're supposed to be doing. Jenny has a friend who fasts for the first three weeks of January. Doesn't that sound horrible? I mean, I'm thinking I would go to Johnny's Buffet. Um, I mean, that day, the three weeks are over, and I would be there eating the buffet for three weeks if I were fasting that long. I mean, I can't fast for an hour. But she does that more than likely so that she can get her focus for the rest of the year. I think that is a powerful thing. I wish I could do it. What is it that you need to do to get your focus on the why of your existence? Think about that. Think about what it can look like in your life if you get to the true north of your existence. To say, I've been going in different directions and with my work and with my relationships and um, with my, my time. And I'm not really sure where to even orient myself anymore. And to say, this year I'm going to do it on Christ. I'm going to focus in. He seemed to have the right way to go. And I'm going to go in that way. Think about what that means for our world. What could it look like in our world if we all understood the why of our existence? Think about what it means right here for in our own uh, community and in the ways that we relate to one another. That if we are really focused on getting out the good news that God has for us, I mean, why would we even keep it to ourselves? The church that's going to make the difference in our world today is a church that understands the what based on the why. And so if you just jumped into our church and you're busy tutoring children or you go and you serve in the clothing closet or you participate in a block party or whatever it is that we're doing and you don't understand the why, you're probably going to get pretty frustrated with it. But when you understand why it is that you're doing it and what God intends to do in our world, then powerful things can happen. And the most powerful churches are not the mega churches necessarily, are they? Just because you have thousands of people doesn't mean that you're even making an imprint in the community. And that's not to say I'm not even thinking about any in particular. But you don't have to have all of that. To make a big difference. God has called us to make a difference right here in the Highland community. And he has called us to do that by sharing the good news with other people through our actions and through our words. Through including people and inviting people to participate in the love and the grace of God. And that's enough work to keep us busy for the rest of our lives, isn't it? It's enough work to be able to keep this church moving and going and, and engaging the neighborhood and doing all kinds of exciting things. I hope that you'll find your purpose as we find our purpose as a church. I want to close with this quote from uh, Dostoevsky. It's here in the, uh, the bulletin. 
comes from the brothers Karamazov. He writes, and, and as a Christian, by the way, uh, a wonderful Christian writer, the mystery of human existence lies not in just staying alive, but in finding something to live for. I hope that you're finding something to live for. Let's pray.